You're listening to the Rural Advancement Podcast. Rural Advancement provides resources to empower, equip, and encourage rural pastors and churches. Join our community by visiting us at ruraladvancement.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Rural Advancement. This is the podcast that is designed by rural leaders and for rural leaders. It is our goal every single week to bring you content that not only speaks to the rural context, but is spoken by people who get it, people who were raised there, who work there, who have lived and ministered in small towns and out-of-the-way places. There's one thing we know about the rural church is that God is active there. God is moving in these um, awesome communities and in these small places. And we know that whether you serve as a volunteer, as a lay leader, as a pastor, as a Sunday school teacher, as someone who fills in occasionally, like you are a person who's moving God's work forward. And we're excited you tuned in. I am your host, Joe Epley. And uh, we've been in a series uh, as you know, maybe maybe as a fitting start to the new year, we talk about new ventures and new initiatives. And so we've kind of been hearing different voices on church planting. And um, to kind of top off that series, uh, we want to bring you a rural resource. You know, from time to time, we highlight places, uh, whether it's books or other podcasts or, or websites where maybe you could find uh, some of this content. And so I am excited today to have um, pastor and author Will Basham on here. And he has recently um, released a book, and um, I'm super excited for him to tell you about it. And I'm going to let him tell most of his story. But uh, I just wanted to say, first of all, hey, Will, how you doing, man? Hey, Joe, I'm doing good. Thanks for uh, having me on the podcast today. Excited to be here. Absolutely. Well, you know, first of all, tell us tell us about your book for just a second. You know, tell us the, the name of it and, and maybe just write why you wrote about it. Yeah, yeah. The book's called Rural Mission, and uh, the subtitle is Insights from a Rural Church Planter. Um, I planted a church in 2012 in a, a town called Milton, West Virginia, a town of less than 3,000 people. And um, my story of church planting was um, I, I encountered a lot of conferences and networks and pastor uh, leadership uh, podcasts and resources that were aimed at things that I didn't really identify with as being in a small town. And um and so that was that's always kind of been a heart of mine to um, to share share some tips and, and advice and just how God's worked in, in my small town and and really pandemic kind of helped. I had a, I had a long outline of things I wanted to write about and not the time to do it. And uh, sure. when pandemic hit, uh, I preached like a whole bunch of sermons in advance, and then we released them like on online. Like I was like Tupac, oh, sure. like you know, after Tupac <laughs> died, he had his albums coming out later. Right, right. So all I had the all time, these yeah. sermons like archived, and um, so I used that extra time. Our one of our other pastors on staff challenged us, like, "Hey, do something with this time that mm. that you haven't had time to do." And for me, it was writing this book, and so I took that outline and uh, just went after it, got it done, and then. Uh, and then got the got the release. It's been out uh, a little over a year now, so it's nice. been it's been cool to get it out there. Awesome, you know, and and that's what we that's what we like to hear, man. We like to hear people resource in the rural church. Uh, definitely, a lot of our listeners, myself included, uh, very sympathetic to that idea. You know, you you get up and you get at a conference and you hear somebody say, "Well, here's how to grow your church to 5,000. I'm like, "Hey, right. my county is twenty five hundred people. Like, there's it's very rare right. that this is going to actually happen. So, so, uh, yep. but we're excited to have you on here, man. Uh, why don't you maybe take a second and fill us in on your personal background, your ministry background? You know, what is your connection to the rural church? Yeah, so I I love the rural church. I grew up in a rural church, and um, uh, I came to Christ as as a, a kid, uh, ten years old, at a revival, um, and was uh, the church closest to the house, you know, where I lived, and um, 
so I grew up loving the rural church. And, and when I learned to preach, um, I actually learned to preach in that same church that I came to Christ in. And they taught me to preach by like putting me in the pulpit and this extemporaneous, uh, non preparatory type preaching. Dang. It was my what pastor used to, yeah, he used to pray over me before I would preach a sermon and he'd flip through the Bible and make sure I didn't have any notes in there. Uh, cause they felt like if I had notes, I wasn't really preaching in the, in the spirit. Man, that's stone cold, dude. I mean, that is, that yeah. is just, I mean, so that's, that's just, they're throwing yeah. it in there, you know, that's right. That's how I learned to preach. And, um, but yeah, definitely that old time religion feel. And, um, and then, and then I ended up, you know, uh, growing in my theology, went to seminary and, and in, in all of that transition had this desire to plant a church in that context. But, um, but I, I didn't just want to like blast everything I came from. Cause even though I you know had come to disagree theologically with some of the ways I was raised, oh, and, sure, sure. um, and, and even a lot of the practice, like I actually preach with notes now, believe it or not, you know, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I, I came to realize that my thoughts are more collected in that way. But, um, but those people love me and they, they, they taught me about Jesus and, and introduced me to Jesus. And so, uh, I just, I've always had this deep love for the rural church. And, and so I wanted to, uh, I wanted to plant a church and continue to continue to plant rural churches. And so that's what, that's what we've tried to do here in West Virginia and, um, and God's blessed the work, you know, by his grace. Man, that's uh, really exciting to hear. You know, I, I, I do think uh, rural really is such a conversation about where you came from and the people who, who made up who you are, you know, like no matter what, yeah. like whether you've changed since then or, or whether you find yourself in the same vein, like, rural shapes us you know it's just mm -hmm. such a cool context and then there's these people who have sacrificed so much to get us to where we are and it's it's powerful stuff just real quick i, I mean i've got uh i got a lot to owe to the real church i mean like i, I got my wife there uh, I, <laughs> yeah. well, I found my wife by my mom picking her up for church and like so my earliest memories of my wife was like four and five years old and we were we'd pick her up on the way to church and that was just my mom being a being a good missionary yeah. And, um, she, you know, she came from a non-Christian family and so we would pick her up and then, um, yes, yeah, so we grew up together. We got married at age 19, which was normal for, for our culture. Sure. Um, yeah. And, uh, so yeah, finished high school, got married. We have five kids now and, um, been married 16 years. And so wow. God's just, God's just blessed. Man, that's awesome. That's so exciting. Yeah, I definitely feel you on that. When I moved, uh, to really, I, I didn't grow up in a small town, but I moved to a small town and and uh you know discovered a ministry i was passionate about discovered a context i was passionate about and married the pastor's daughter you know what i'm saying and so there you go, I mean, yeah. I was working as a youth pastor i mean it's, so you owe a lot to the church stuff. too yeah 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 um well hey diving into your book man uh and and i just you know when i read through these books uh you know i'm encouraged by all the content but i try and pick out a few things here and there that just stood out to me that i wanted to pick your brain about sure so first off you mentioned several times in your book that people in rural america are at times passionately religious I love that terminology, but mm -hmm. oftentimes biblically illiterate or kind of carry this blind faith. Can you maybe elaborate on this? Tell us, you know, how this came to be and what maybe we can do about it. Yeah. So, um, so I'm in West Virginia, which is, uh, you know, the heart of Appalachia and, um, and what we have kind of coined the phrase we've coined in our church for our people as they minister is, is we're trying to reach a lot of people who are religiously lost. And in reaching the religious lost, what, what we're doing is we're reaching people who have exposure to the gospel in some sense. And this really 
puts the rural church at an advantage. Um, and not every rural place is inherently religious, um, especially like the Northeast. They have some like non-religious rural areas, but a lot of rural places do have this kind of entrenched tradition of religion. And, um, and so I, I, I want to see people take that starting ground and, and leverage it and use it for God's glory. Um, but what's happened, I think, over time is, um, uh, you know, we, we tend to have, um, like, especially in West Virginia, we're the second least educated state. Um, wow. I always say, I always say, take that Mississippi. Yeah. Um, but that means that like a lot of our population, they're not, they're not reading books and they're definitely not reading the Bible. And so what they know about the Bible is passed down orally. And so oral tradition is such a big deal. Even going wow. back to, um, to the church I grew up in teaching me to preach without studying beforehand, you know, just getting yeah. up. And so whatever you say, that's, it's kind of seen in this mystic sense is that's what the gospel truth is. And so then there's all these religious misconceptions of, all right, this is what it means to be a Christian, which breeds legalism, which breeds all these prerequisites to the gospel. And so, so people, you know, maybe identify as, yeah, I, I believe in God. I love God and country, um, all these type of rural uh, things that we value, but yet they, they don't actually understand them at a deep level and they don't actually practice them at all. And so oh, that's wow. kind of the demographic that we find ourselves trying to reach a lot. And so you've got to unpack and really deconstruct a lot of religious myths um, before you can begin to get at the true gospel and what grace is. Yeah. And so what does that look like to begin to deconstruct those things? I mean, again, uh, some pastors might be tuning in and say, man, I, I really identify with that. I see that problem up front, but how do we start within our churches? What's available to a pastor to try and, to try and rise to that challenge, you know? Yeah, I think um, I think being deeply rooted in Scripture is is the number one thing. And so, um, by far, I think the most attractive thing about our church and what people have been most impressed by is actually the fact that we methodically and very systematically go through Scripture. Um, we we preach expository preaching almost mm. exclusively, and nice. and what that allows us to do is put all the focus not on what the preacher's saying, but put all the focus on the Word. And then by the, by doing that, we champion um, word based ministry. So if you want to grow closer to God, you're going to have to get into the Word of God for yourself. Um, and and discipleship's big too. And we encourage all of our our saints to to make disciples and to study Scripture with one another. We're always trying to equip and encourage believers in our church to exposit Scripture among their friends and with other people. And um, and so equipping them and resourcing them and showing them that they can do that. Um, and they don't have to have, you know, an MDiv or a master's degree to, oh, to sure. do that is, is really helpful. And so I think discipleship is, is interesting because we've in the church, I feel like we've got this, um, this kind of misconception that discipleship has to be inherently academic. And, right. and that's not, that's not really what you see in Jesus's discipleship. Um, sure. now he did teach, um, but his teaching was not, um, was not like a professor and not like the average rabbi. Um, and, and really what discipleship ought to be is life on life, teaching someone's life to be centered on the gospel and look more and more like Christ. That's what making mm -hmm. a disciple is. But sometimes I think the church turns discipleship into academic learning. And, and when that's the case, um, if you've got these like a group of blue collar guys that you've reached with the gospel and then you're telling them, okay, now to become a disciple of Jesus. And they're like, okay, how? And it's, we'll go to this class and read this book. They're checking mm -hmm. out. They don't want anything to do with right. that. And so we've got to find a better way, uh, particularly in rural cultures um, to get our life next to people who were discipling. 
Yeah. And honestly, like, like what a hurdle, because again, uh, I know as pastors, we may feel this pressure, but you know, um, you want, you know, like when you, when you go again around other ministers and they're telling you what books they're reading and what books they're trying to get their congregation to read. And, and so you're getting these images of discipleship that do look holistically academic and you might go, well, are we just backwater then? Or are we just, you know what I'm saying? Are we just right. not doing it right? And it's like, well, right. no, like we have to be confident to stand in that place to say, Hey, it's, it's going to be scripture and it's going to be, you know, even if it can't be quote unquote academic because of our context, it's like, well, well, this is still discipleship. It's the osmosis of the scripture into the life of another person. Yeah. And technology has been so helpful too. I mean, even just oh, things sure. like this, like a podcast, um, you take a guy who, who just flat out doesn't read anything, you know, he's not right. going to read, and he can listen, yeah. read the Bible, but, but he might listen to a, a podcast about theology. And um, so, so technology is really a blessing. And I think the more that the real church can utilize that and just kind of realize everybody's different. There might be people sure. that will read a book. There might be people that will go to a Bible study, but try to meet people where they are and see what they're actually have, having the capacity to do to become a, a faithful disciple of Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. So, one of the things that you mentioned in your book, and you kind of touched on it right then, but you say that one of the common temptations of the rural church is legalism. Can you kind of maybe help us define that term, define that flavor of legalism that you see in the rural church? And maybe how does a pastor kind of speak to that mentality? Like, how do we, again, you know, kind of come against that or, or confront that, you know? Sure. Yeah, it's like there's a religious wall that's been built um, in a lot of rural communities. And so every sermon that I preach every Sunday at our church, I'm really trying to um, think at it from the perspective of not just the people who've been in my church for years, but the people who've been in my church for weeks. Uh, what have they carried in to our gatherings um, mm. with with what they've heard before? Again, because we're not dealing with very many people who are blank slates, religiously speaking. Everyone's sure. everyone's had a grandma that's talked to them about the Bible or sure. talked to them about Sunday school, right? And so, since that's the case, everyone's bringing in preconceived notions. And so, I've got to I've really got to work hard to make sure that I'm addressing that um, really in every sermon. Make sure that I'm knocking down walls that aren't gospel walls. And a, a big part of that is legalism. And again. I think legalism mostly stems from oral tradition, um, because when I was little, I heard a preacher say that, you know, women shouldn't wear pants in church or we should only use the King James Bible or you insert whatever, you know, myth you want. But there are lots of these kind of traditions that become elevated to the same as as scripture. And people believe that even though they might not actually even practice Christianity because they've heard it, they have this notion in their mind. This is what Christianity is. And so we've got to break that down. And and so that just breeds a lot of legalism. And then when legalism is there, it really creates um, really two intense reactions from people. One reaction would be, I reject it because I can't, I can't actually carry it out. I I can't, I can't uh, stand up to what the legal requirements are of this religion. And so I might say, I believe, but I'm not actually going to go to church. I'm not actually going to live it out. I'll kind of do what I want. The other reaction is to embrace all of these um, non-biblical traditions and be a legalist. But if if you try to be a legalist, you're actually a hypocrite. And so what you're sure. actually embracing is hypocrisy. And so you oh, wow. begin to hide all your sin because we're all still sinners, right? Right. And so, so that's kind of the two camps we have in rural culture. It tends to be the biggest uh, population pockets is people who've uh, actually believe with their heads, but maybe not with their hearts and they've rejected it. Um, and people who, who believe in our Christians, but they're hypocrites because they, they have to keep up with this legalistic persona. Oh, sure. Um, both of those ends are very toxic and 
Um, and so the gospel is where we need to bring people to. What what is what is the gospel? It's the good news that Jesus gives us salvation by grace alone, uh, through faith alone, and Him alone. And, and those things actually lead us to a place where we can, for the first time in our lives, be enabled to live holy lives. And and so the order is important. And so we have to break down what comes first, right? It's not the chicken sure. or the egg. It's the it's the acts of righteousness or the gospel. Okay, the gospel has to come first, and then the acts of righteousness can follow. Sure. Yeah. And honestly, uh, uh, I'm definitely kind of getting this picture as we talk of, of, you know, what, how important really that piece of expository preaching is for you guys. You know, I think you yeah. mentioned it as, Hey, this is huge. This is important, but it's answering a lot of questions. It's, it's answering uh, a, a culture that is biblically illiterate, but it's also, you know, reigning in these forces of legalism, hypocrisy. Cause again, they're just getting a diet of the mm-hmm. word. What a challenge, what an encouragement. So the next topic I want us to look at is, uh, you know, and and the structure of the book I thought was really great because obviously you give background, and and you're walking through kind of your journey, um, and and what that looks like. But then also, um, you kind of break it down into areas, right? What is what does it look like to have a real church with evangelism, discipleship, yeah. and all these things? And so um, let's talk about evangelism right away here. You mentioned this term slow culture, right? Mm-hmm. You kind of look at rural church as this slow culture place. Um, and, and I love the way you framed it. It was very positive. You said it could be a huge opportunity, a huge benefit to evangelism in the rural church. And so maybe explain what that is. And again, why it represents such a great opportunity. Yeah. So, um, I think one of the, the great hindrances of evangelistic relationships is, um, people who feel like they don't have time for Christians in their life. Um, Mm -hmm. And that seems to be more rare in rural areas. Rural sure. towns tend to tend to march along a lot slower. Cultural trends reach us a little bit later. And so there's certainly some speeding up that's happening. I mean, we see that with social media and, and just oh, the, sure. the, the, internet, speed, yeah, the, for sure. the speed of news and things like that. But, um, but still in rural places, um, the people here just live life slower. And there's a there's a higher tendency of people in these places to, um, to slow down, to take, take time to spend with you, to have conversations with you. Um, and so the evangelistic opportunity, I feel like is a great advantage. Most of us in ministry like to hype up how, how hard our place is. It's like my town is oh, the yeah. toughest soil to, sure, to plow, sure, sure. you know, of anyone, especially church planners. We're the worst at that because <laughs> right, we have to make right. a perspective. Cause you're comparing, we have to raise yeah, you're money. always comparing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No it's like, send me Jesus money. Cause I'm in me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm in the hardest place on earth. Right. Um, <laughs> But I, I decided in the book to just kind of like drop that facade because I really do think rural places have an advantage. But if we don't take advantage of of that slow pace, then it is slipping away. And um, while we have it, we need to take that opportunity while someone's willing to go fishing with you and while someone's willing to sit on the front porch with you. Um, let's leverage those time frames that we have for the sake of sharing the gospel with people who need to hear it. Yeah. And uh, and, and it is such a, a powerful one of the things that comes up on our podcast a lot. Um, because it is, you know, it is rural. It's these, it's this kind of heartbeat of, of what it means to be present, you know, in a community and lives of people. Sure. And mm-hmm. I love when you highlight that you're like, Hey, we have, you know, a knock and door opportunity. I mean, it is right here in front of us where we could yeah. really capitalize. And I think that's such an encouragement, you know, yeah. plus it's not a detriment. Some people say, well, I don't, I don't like how this functions. It's like, well, no, let's, let's see it differently. Let's see it in terms of, of the opportunity it provides, man. That's right. cool stuff. Um, so another thing, and this was probably, you know, just for the listener, for you, this was my favorite part of your entire book. Okay. Just, just letting you know, like you said some good stuff. Yeah. I'm sure it was great, you know, but this is my favorite part. 
so you looked at kind of this exodus from rural towns, a lot of what, I mean, anybody in any sector has labeled, whether it's a brain drain, you know, you get young people leaving, getting educated, not coming back to small towns, uh, mm-hmm. whether it's just a general exodus because people are looking for better context, they're looking for greener pastures, better schools, better amenities, you know, whatever, whatever they can find. Right. Yeah. But um, you talked about, and you tied it to this concept of scripture, right? You talked about rural towns and the need for families and pastors to put down roots um, almost in Babylon was the comparison. And so mm-hmm. to speak to the rural context, kind of clue us in on what you're talking about, that connection and why it's so important. Yeah, sure. Um, a lot of that theme is based out of uh, Jeremiah 29, 11, which we love to put in our kitchen. Sure, you sure, know, sure. And, what, and uh, bloggers get mad when we take it out of context. Uh, I know the <laughs> plans I have for you, says the Lord, and the plans for your good. And um and, and I understand the context of where Jeremiah is coming from, but I also think we can apply principles in scripture um, to the context we find ourselves in. I don't think that's bad exegesis. Oh, um, sure. And so I take that, that, that um, idea and I look at how God placed Israel in this exile. It was, it was due to a lot of things they had done wrong. They had found themselves in a bad position, but they find themselves in Babylon and God um, tells them, that they need to uh, settle down, to put down roots. They need sure. to build houses. They need to take wives. They need to have children, um, and they need to stand up for the principles of Yahweh. And and in doing so, he says, in the welfare of the city that you find yourself in, you will find your own welfare. And um, the beauty of that is that in, in a real context, I think we see in a lot of ways it's, it's become bad. On. Opioid addiction has come screaming in um, the the foster care uh, really dilemma at a societal level is out of control, especially where I'm at in West Virginia. Sure. Um, we have the highest per capita of, of kids in foster care in accordance oh, with wow. our population. And so just uh, fatherlessness, motherlessness, um, all these societal problems, poverty, uh, political idolatry that, that are so heavy in rural places make it feel like Babylon. And the lack of opportunity, along with those bad things, make it even feel more like Babylon. And and so when people, particularly young people, when they grow up, they, they'll tend to say things like, man, I'll do anything I can to get out of this area sure. or whatever. Yep. I want to leave and in the so, rearview in a sense, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And as, as rural pastors, I mean, we see that all the time. We see people... Um, in our churches that are trying to move away. And that's that can be really discouraging. And so we understand that sometimes God calls people to bigger places and moves them to sure, bigger places. Sure, sure. Yeah, we can't diss on um, that, you know, of course, of course. Of course, right. But we, we also um, just put a call to our people, like maybe God's calling you to be in a place uh, that's kind of like Babylon, that's maybe not your ideal paradise and slice of heaven here on earth. And maybe um, maybe you can have the ideal living conditions when you die and you go to wow. be with Jesus. And um, so we just call people to that, man, live your life where God's placed you. And if you find yourself in a place that's just got sadness and brokenness all around you, um, put down some roots there and say, I'm going to seek the welfare of this place uh, for God's glory, and it'll be for my good too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of my favorite things about this, though, is that, again, you you have this exchange that happens, right? You have this, uh, you know, we could say, hey, I want a, an easier life on earth. And again, not making rural the hardest place ever. But but uh, you have this opportunity in front of you to say, I'm going to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel and for the greater reward. You know, I mean, this is what the saints talked about. This is what the martyrs died for was this idea that we're going to sacrifice now to gain later and viewing our pastorates and our, our mission and our context through that lens could be such a powerful way to let go of maybe some of the reservations we have about, about pastoring there, you know? 
Yeah, sometimes my wife and I will travel places. They're like, I don't know if you ever do this, but like we'll go on vacation and we'll always kind of dream about like, man, what would it be like to live here? This would be oh, cool. absolutely. We would be close to the ocean or close to this attraction that we like or, you know, whatever. And, um, and I, we always kind of dream about that. And then, um, if I'm just being honest, sometimes I'm like, and that does seem more appealing, like than the yeah. place I yeah. actually find myself living right absolutely. now. And I love where I live, but then, but then I just think of where has God placed me? What are the circumstances in his sovereignty that led to me being here? Um, does he have a purpose for where I am? And the answer is always a resounding yes. And even though there might be really better places to live, there might not be better places to live on mission. And if God's sure. got me where he's got me, then I want to, I want to be in step with that. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, so for one of our last questions here, and then I do want to ask you maybe a little bit about, about your plans going forward for this whole, you know, rural voices thing you're doing, but, but, um, yeah. you, you mentioned a whole chapter about church planning and you mentioned the phrase everywhere is strategic enough, you know, and I know this is yeah. kind of church planter language in terms of what's strategic and what's not, but, but what does this mean to you? Just kind of enlighten us on that, you know? Yeah, I, I, um, when I was planting a church in 2012, um, I, again, I always had to prove that the place I was going to plant a church actually needed one. And sure. what that led to was I needed to, I needed to show the highest number of lost people that I possibly could. Um, and the least amount of churches in that area that would sure. make, that would make the mission more appealing. Right. Sure. Um, and, and, and really this kind of dawned on me in a conversation with a guy that was in our church, um, several years back that wanted to plant in a big city. And, and I said, you know, Hey, you go to this big city and plant a church. How big do you think your church is going to be? And he's, you know, uncomfortable with the question. Cause he doesn't want to say, yeah, I'm going to have a 7,000. Right. Right. Church. No one wants to claim that they're going to crush yeah, it. So yeah, he, exactly. You know, he, and he's a, he's truly a humble guy. So he was like, well, you know, I, I think, I think, you know, a church of two or 300 people, and then I want to continue to send people out to plant. And sure. I think that's a very realistic goal. And, and, and I said, man, like, do you realize you could, you could plant a church and, and, and have a couple hundred people almost anywhere in, in the world. Um, yeah. If God really moves and draws people and converts them and you see people born again and disciples are made like there, there's almost anywhere that you could, that you could accomplish that. You don't have to go to a big city. And I think it's just a big misconception that if, if we want to have some kind of sizable impact that we have to go to the highest populated places. And of course there is, um, there's there's a a biblical grounding to the strategy of like Paul going to metropolitan areas and things like that. Oh sure, sure. Um, but you also you also see um, some some forgotten people who who planted churches in forgotten places. Um, that Jesus sees their work and honors it and loves their work and 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 I think I always use the example of like Joel Osteen, one of my favorite theologians. Sure. Um, I say that tongue in cheek. I'm, I'm yeah, joking. sure, sure, sure. But um, <laughs> he's I think he's still got the biggest church in America, right? And, I'm, and, yeah, I mean he's got to be, you know. So yeah, pretty close. and he's and he's not even preaching the truth. And so right, you have right, this right. guy in Houston, and with the biggest church in America, the the sheer numbers of just uh, percentage reach of his church to the percentage or to the, the total population of his city, the percentage of new heights is reached the church. I pastor and the yeah. percent and the total population of the town I'm in is higher. So I always tell people right. our church is bigger than Joel Osteen's right. Right. Um, a bigger impact. <laughs> and I don't say that to, to puff up our work, but, I, but right. I do want people in rural areas to see, man, you can have maybe even a more meaningful impact on, right. on a town 
or on a, on a, on an area, um, by, by going to some kind of forgotten place. And so it just brings dignity and value, I think, to the, to the work of, of pastors in small towns. Like if you're a small town pastor and you're listening, like what you're doing is, is vitally important and you holding the line on the front lines out there in that forgotten place is, I mean, it is so impactful and, and maybe, maybe that won't get you, you know, a lot of Twitter followers or whatever, but, um, but Jesus, Jesus loves you and appreciates what you're doing. And, and we do too. So it's, it's a good work. Yeah, absolutely. Man. And, and what an encouragement, you know, I think that's, so it comes across all the time. You start talking percentages, you start talking uh, again, the way you can not just shape the future of a church, but shape the, the course of a town of a group of people of a region, you know, is, is really fun. Yeah. Um. Well, Hey, uh, before we get off here, you know, I definitely want people to know how to better connect with not just your book, but maybe, initiatives you got going forward so tell us about rural church voices right this is kind of a thing that you started and, and obviously this book is is the fruit of that but tell us about it yeah rural church voices is kind of a quasi publishing house so we we publish our books independently um but we've just kind of branded them together um so sure. that we would have a way to market together and so i would invite all the listeners to check out realchurchvoices.com and uh, we have currently released three books. Um, there's a guy named Jason Cook who released a book called Old Time Religion. He released it in tandem with my book. Um, and and then Olivia Mead um, last year released um, Ordinary Faithfulness. And so those those oh, wow. two books are also available. And we already have manuscripts for a book I'm really excited about that's coming out May 1st. Um, it's called Church Out Here. And it's written by 12 rural authors, um, rural church leaders, and on 12 different topics. It's incredibly strategic and pragmatic, um, dealing with issues like church revitalization, church planting, but also really practical things like opioid crisis, um, how rural church confronts like the LGBT movement, things like that. Um, So there's a lot of really good content in this book. We are eyeball deep in editing right now uh, right, we've got right. we've got all the manuscripts and um so it'll be coming out may 1st and so uh, stay tuned for that for sure awesome and uh, that will be in the show notes along with a uh, a link to uh, your book and uh, we're definitely excited to check out the other authors i know for me you know as soon as you said you got these two other books i'm like okay well there's a there's my there's my reading list you know for the spring yeah. you know, to, to check those out so and we so, keep them all graciously uh, yeah. short too um right. all the books are coming in right around 100 pages uh, again keeping in line with the fact we know a lot of rural people aren't aren't wanting to read you know big right, crazy, right. huge books and, and i so. thought even that was such a cool nod to intentionality you know because because again it's mm-hmm. one thing to say hey we don't have to be crazy overly academic in our presentation but then you, right. you you're making books that don't have to be that and that's that's powerful stuff so jason always gives me a hard time because i cut a bunch out of his book <laughs> i was like we yeah. got to shorten it down <laughs> absolutely well thank you again for uh, being on the podcast today sir we really appreciate it yeah man honored to be here and to all our listeners, we uh, just really thank you for tuning into Rural Advancement. Once again, it is our goal every single week to bring you content that's not just spoken uh, to the rural church, but from the rural church, from people who get it. You can check us out at www.ruraladvancement.com, or you can check out our podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcast. Uh, stop by, give it a follow, leave a review, a rating, something like that. And uh, for now, we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.